listeners, welcome to the next session. An advice podcast for game masters who are seeking help with their next game session. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. And we have some good questions today, so let's just dive right in. Alrighty, that sounds good. Perfect. Um, our first next session help question comes from Vainwin. 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 Is that winning with your veins? Like your veins Ew. are doing all right? No, I... I think that way is spelled with an E, and this is V-A-I-N. Oh, I couldn't see that. I couldn't see this. I, know. <laughs> I think it's like... So it's like a... They're winning like and they're a very... Like very full of yourself. Yeah, they're full of themselves. Win, winning. But it's a win, so... It's we'll... still a win. Yeah. <laughs> I'll so take it. I kind of like it because it reminds me of like Bronwyn. Okay, or... sure. It's a good name. Yeah. Vainwin. Vainwin says, how would a devil go about destroying a magical pillar? question mark the party uh is currently on their way to a magical crystal pillar that contains an ancient white dragon in my campaign all dragons are sealed within crystals and to release them it requires a large force of impact whether magical or not i like that idea Hmm. the more dangerous the dragon the harder it is to break the crystal so imagine a pillar the size of the eiffel tower that's what we're dealing with now, recently the party helped release a devil who offered to reward them with a small favor. The wizard, however, had other ideas and made a deal with the devil. And in return, this devil was to shatter the pillar. Now, my only problem is trying to figure out how this devil could go about destroying said pillar. I hadn't considered the players would do this, but her trade was too tempting for the devil to give up. So I'd appreciate any ideas. Don't worry about them being realistic or abiding by the rules. This is homebrew campaign where anything is possible. Many thanks. So good to know we don't have to to worry too much about the rules. Uh, yeah, um, woohoo! And, and I don't really mean that. I know that maybe comes off sarcastically, but I don't mean that that way. I think that especially when you're talking about this large scale kind of magic, you really kind of need to throw the rules out the window. Like there's no spell that does this very custom thing that's yeah. you know built into the player's handbook i mean vainwin the easiest thing to do is have the devil snap their fingers and the pillar shatters i mean you don't have to explain it too much they're they're magical they made a deal they're gonna do it done sure especially if the if you know this is the kind of really powerful devil that can do that kind of yeah i mean if you if you just want to move on and have the the crystals shatter that's what you do it but... does. It does kind of sound like the the real fun here is that they made a deal with the devil, and you have maybe an opportunity to make it cheeky. Uh, well, I was thinking like it's not the result you were hoping for, kind of thing. Yeah, cheeky. Uh, is that? Is, I okay. mean, that's what I think of a cheeky devil, where you're or, or like you know, you wish a genie, you wish for um. Uh, all the wishes you can ha- ever have, like yeah, infinity right. wishes, and the genie goes, okay, and they turn you into a genie. Right, and yeah. Suddenly you have to grant everybody else's wishes, so right. you get all of them, yeah, but okay, they're not really your free. own or something. It's a cheeky genie. Oh, okay. Uh, sure, maybe cheeky is a good way to put it. So my thought would be maybe, so you can break it with any sudden impact. Maybe the devil hurls the wizard's hometown at the pillar whoa like uh full-on avengers 2 style like picks the entire town up out of the ground and hurls the entire town at at uh at the pillar that's pretty crazy yeah maybe the devil in that in that vein when 
Um, maybe the devil takes the Eiffel Tower-sized crystal and picks it up and spikes it into the ground at the wizard's um Oh, yeah, house okay, or so now it releases this. It releases the dragon, and all the crystal shards are now everywhere. Mm. Okay. Uh, that's not a bad idea. Um... But the town, I mean, I, I would imagine that there must be some sort of, okay, I guess I'm thinking of the actual Eiffel Tower with France, Paris, all around it. Sure. Like, there, if there's a town around this crystal, they probably don't want the dragon released because it's like a big tourist attraction for them. Yeah, I think the real the real secret here is to pull into whatever's in the wizard's past and use that as a knife to, you know... This, this devil's deal is to say, yeah, I'll get the thing done that you want done. And I don't really like to do favors for other people without them. You know, I want to get the most I can possibly get out of this. Maybe the devil needs the wizard staff to put into a specific crack to get the, the thing to start breaking. And so it actually breaks the wizard's weapon. Hmm. Maybe Maybe this isn't about making it harder on the wizard maybe it's just about the devil getting exactly what they want out of the deal even though you didn't know that was what they were trying to get oh yeah 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 like maybe the devil actually controls the dragon because they broke it out of the crystal sure um or the devil you know what what could be the desire of the devil um it could be that they want to open a portal to the material plane so um Maybe something that they do, the way in which they crash, destroy the crystal, uh, opens a, a portal to the Nine Hells or something like that. It seems a little much plot-wise because now you have to deal with the dragon and a portal to the Nine Hells. Right. What? Okay, what if the devil could somehow get the dragon out and keep where it was in the crystal uh, preserved like a mold that they can then use to create an evil demon devil dragon. Yeah, that's pretty fun. I like that idea. It's a gel mold. Of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did you ever back way back when have those um candy molds that like look like spiders or something? Yeah, bugs. What was yeah, that what called? Yeah, what was that called? Creepy crawlers. Creepy crawlers. Creepy crawlers. Oh my gosh, you remember yeah. the theme song? Yeah, yeah. I remember wanting that so bad and um I remember that I wasn't um my friends made fun of me because that was a boy toy. Oh, yeah. And I had to get an Easy Bake Oven, which my sister did, and I got to play with it. But I wanted those little bug candies so bad. I had a friend that had those, but I wasn't with him when he got them. So they, you know, they were like in his basement <laughs> as like a, oh, yeah, I got that. You know, he got it at some point in the past. And so, like, I didn't actually get to eat any of the creepy crawlers because by that time, you know, everything had gone bad. Yeah. And... Yeah. I actually have a, like, vague memory of someone telling me that all of the candy got eaten out by ants oh yeah so like they by the time they went to actually open it up it had um empty bags there's some there's creepy crawlers in there well there you go (laughs) okay so i like the mold idea i think that's a really cool idea you filling up with enough dragon stuff (laughs) these crystals are supposed to be these powerful sort of reflections of magic right it says... Can you, can you read that bit again? Because I think there's something in the crystal itself. In my campaign, all dragons are sealed within crystals, and to release them it requires a large force of impact, whether magical or not. The more dangerous the dragon, the harder it is to break the crystal. Imagine a pillar the size of the Eiffel Tower. So maybe this is a diamond 
maybe like if this is the hardest dragon to get, maybe this is actually encased in diamond, which is really hard that you need a huge impact force. What if what if the dragon inside is dead. already dead? Yep, called it. But the there's something in the dragon that's valuable mm. that the devil wants. Talons or scales heart. or yeah, yeah. Heart. something singular, something Maybe like the thing that makes the fire. Yeah, and that's that's actually what the devil wants. The last time we talked about dragons and what makes their fire, I laughed for forty five <laughs> yeah, minutes yeah, straight and almost peed true. myself. Uh, yeah. So I'm not. I forgot about that. I'm not going to go into You're that. You're not going to describe what makes their fire. Nope. I feel like it, there were a lot of, a lot of like inherent penis. I think I cut a lot of that out. Yeah. So I like I like that idea because that lends to the, I I feel like the the thing that that and maybe this is what Vainwin Vainwin is talking about is is that this is an opportunity that they don't want to give up, um, for the devil to to turn this around or to turn this bad against the party in some way. Um, and I think that's maybe the interesting thing here. And I don't know what the plot line is supposed to be, like why the players want to release right, like, a very, very dangerous Are they going to get control or, or yeah. is it to save the dragons or maybe they know it's already dead and there's an egg in there? Right. Or... So potentially like there is, you know, there's a, there's a plot direction here that this little piece has to go along with. But I also think that there is a great opportunity here to, to twist it poorly against the players and i do think there's some really obvious ones like the devil gets the control over the dragon uh, or something like that that is that is great to do right now you just have a bad guy that's there the, the devil's there the dragon's there is a devil riding on top of a dragon breathing fire all over and, you know, whatever whatever the case may be that'd be pretty fun it's a big white dragon too it's a big but... white oh so breathing cold um what Different dragons breathe different things. No, so, I know that, so. but I was going Neverending Story with the luck dragon. Oh, sure, like a luck dragon. And he's going woohoo! So the dra- so the devil on top of the white dragon, who is your bad guy, is actually the good guy from Neverending Story. It wasn't his name Falcor. Was that the dragon's name? Yeah, I think yeah. that was the dragon's name. Yeah, but I do also, if it doesn't get in the way of the plot, I like something that's a really devious twist. Um, you know me. I want to. I want to twist the knife against the players. I want to. I want to make the choices hard. I want to make the the background of the players play a role in the in the things that are going on here. So if there was an opportunity for me to work in the wizard's backstory as something really important here, maybe that is destroy the staff. If it's you know this is a family heirloom and where you get your power from. Right. Um, what if when the dragon is released, it goes on a rampage and releases every dragon crystal it can find? Oh, sure. So because it's so hard to get this dragon, it actually can This dragon can release all of the other Yeah, all it has to do is just ram into any other crystal it can find, and it can release the great gold dragon, the great black dragon, the great green dragon, and whatever. Hmm. Maybe the devil knows this. Yeah. Or maybe when the devil releases the dragon, it can say, oh, great one, I released you, um, spare me. Hmm. And those those ones over there, they were trying to get you, or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an interesting idea. Um, I feel like there's a lot you can do with this. I feel like you definitely want to link it to the plot. 
I I don't think this is a good enough thing to be necessarily a great plot in and of itself. It just becomes sort of there's big dragons, um, and that can be fine. But like, unless there's a greater direction for it, what that really kind of turns into, I suspect, is like you battling against a bunch of dragons. Or well, you're maybe finding the, the wizard plot. to put them in the crystals in the first place. I mean, it sounds like they were on their way there anyway, so maybe this is all part of the all part of the plan. Yeah, and maybe that's okay. I still like Dead Dragon. Dead Dragon. You or, can't or, say that. Or, uh, or the Dragon Mold one was really good, too. <laughs> I, think, I think that's also a really cool idea. It's, um, it makes um, Shadow Dragon. Yeah, Shadow Dragons. I would let it, I would let it turn into, like, Devil Shadow Dragons. Um, and now they have like an army of devil shadow dragons that they have created. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. All, All right. right. There you go, Vainwin. Thanks, Vainwin. I, I, um, please let us know if you use any of these options or if you go, no, 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 this way is better. And then do your own thing. That's fine too. Yeah. We'd still want to hear about that. Yeah. You do you. Uh, <laughs> the next um, question comes from Trick Willingness 440. Trick Willingness. I guess it's a willingness to be tricked. For or a willingness to trick other people. 40 times. Yeah. It kind of sounds like, when you say it fast enough, it sounds like Trick Willing and then Ness. I like Trick Willing sounds like a hilarious like skateboarder dude. Yeah. <laughs> dude, brah, I'm Trick Willing. Don't you know who I am? Did I'm... you know? Didn't you see my Ollie? I'm Trick Willing. That's the only skateboard trick I know. What? Kickflip. I didn't know. No. <laughs> it's a 360. I mean, that is a trick. But... There you go. And <laughs> there just... must be a 180 and a 90. Does anybody do the 90? No, that's just a turn, really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm... That guy did like four 90s. Yeah. He just went around the block. <laughs> trick Willingness 440 says, Need help designing a forest slash mist-based dungeon. Hmm. Hi there. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hi there. In my campaign, my group is about to enter the Temple of Achilles, goddess of mist. The area surrounding the temple is a jungle covered in mist where I've used gnolls and trolls as basic enemies. I've also used an assortment of beasts as random encounters. Since they're getting to the dungeon, I've been trying to think of a new type of enemy to throw at them. I've managed to find vile mist elementals, but I was wondering if you have any ideas of unique mist-based creatures that I can put in the dungeon. Okay, that's an interesting idea. I mean... So, like, creatures made of mist? Yeah, like, here's what you do. You find a creature you like and make a mist version of that creature. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. <laughs> you got a beholder? It's a mist beholder. It's a mist beholder. Got, got a null? It's a mist null. Wait, wait. Because mist, I feel like, is going to lose its meaning real quick here. Um, mist, 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 What is the most hilarious mist monster to, to pair up the word mist with? Mist. Gollum? Uh, mist. Like, I feel like there's got to be something that rhymes or something. Gelatinous mist cube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A gelatin mist. A gelatin mist cube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. That's a pretty good one. Um, yeah. <laughs> what I like about gelatin mist cube is that it's probably just a bunch of mist. In a cube. In a cube shape. But don't go in there. <laughs> yeah. And if it's already in the mist, you couldn't tell it apart from any of the other mist. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, you could go um, Doctor Who, the library with the... Um, 
what is that the vashta narada yeah vashtu narada yeah the one the like the shadow shadow dust oh gosh that was so scary yeah um i mean when i think of forest miss dungeon the first thing that pops into my head is ocarina of time the forest temple first thing oh yeah okay misty you've got pose you've got ghosts with lanterns they're all doing doing all sorts of things with different um puzzles to try to get them you've got those those wall ceiling hand things that come down and get you when the shadow's big they don't they don't actually kill you but they were so terrifying they were so terrifying and if you if you hit them they just turned into like five different little tiny hands. And oh, then it was yeah, like, ah. I forgot about the tiny hands. That's it was much it. better to just run away when you saw the shadow yeah. than to. And it would do the. Womp. And then it would fall on you. Yeah. yeah. So freaky. Yeah, that, was a, that were, was a freaky temple. There were wolves that just like, uh, you heard a couple howls. Yeah. Um, there were. Um, Could be a good good there, one for lycanthropes. Oh, too. totally. There was a hedge maze. Yeah. Which was really neat. Lycanthropes would be really good. Um. You had to make sure that you hit certain targets to get different um, hallways to untwist. Honestly, it's a good place for zombies, too. Yeah, totally. If you wanted to go an undead route. I could see avoiding that, given the given the theme of the campaign. Uh, but it is a good place for zombies and mummies. You could totally do that. You could also make that just a theme of a of a floor or a room in the, in the temple, rather than having that be far-reaching. Why don't you have what some... What about a poltergeist? Poltergeist is good. Why don't you have some um, pixies that can fade in and out of the mist? Or like blink dogs. Well, blink dogs would be kind of cool in the mist. Yeah. I mean, when I think mist, what, what kind of pops into my head is it's hard to see through. You shine a light and it makes it harder to see. Yeah. And so like this comfort of having light is actually worse because it makes you more vulnerable. People can see you, but you can't see out in this weird like reverse bubble effect. Yeah. Um, so there's this like scariness to having things pop in and out of the mist or maybe there's um maybe they fight duplicates of themselves. Oh, sure. Mist mist creatures that are them. Mistwalkers. Mistwalkers. That's good. Um I also like that like the mist if you have dark vision and stuff like that, it doesn't really help you in the mist. No. You know? But maybe casting, um, what, what was that spell that we, solar, sun, sunbeam, dawn. Dawn. So maybe it's like. But dawn like, removes darkness. Actually, no, but I was thinking that maybe as a kind of a, you know, if there's a wizard in the party, maybe sunbeam, if you cast it, will actually help you clear some of the mist out. Sure. Because it says it's like actual sunlight. Um. I believe the spell... The light is sunlight, so maybe it would like burn some of the mist away. I also think the spell create or destroy water could work really well there. I guess if it's really thick mist... Well, it, it specifically says in create or destroy water, um, you can destroy fog in a 30-foot cube within range. Okay, all right, all right. So all right. I would assume if it can destroy fog, it could probably destroy mist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not necessarily. You could say the mist is made... if you If you want to not allow that specific use you could it's say the magic mist, is, mist yeah it's not made of water or you could say it's magic you could say it's whatever um the mist is people but i, I also think that might provide a cool opportunity to be able to use that spell to like suddenly be able to see what's in the room and then you could always have it be like that buys you a round of seeing and then the mist fills in after the mist is so pervasive and dense 
that right. like which is kind of cool because you might like come into a room and see like a, a figure on the edge of the room and be like oh, okay we don't want to get close because we're being cautious and then you cast like destroy water and then it reveals the entire room is filled with zombies and now you've just let them all know you are right there. Right, and then the mist fills back in. <laughs> and then the mist fills back in. The zombies start then, charging after then you. Then you do, then you do sunbeam or whatever again, right. and then they've moved. Right. Ooh, that that's scary. A, yeah, that's a scary. Oh my gosh, scary my heart would be pounding. Thing. I'm trying to think of any other mist creatures, like made of mist creatures. I like the idea of a poltergeist or a ghost. Yeah. Again, would be, would it, it follows cool. into the like popping in and out. I'd probably put in a mist dragon. Okay. The opportunity there is is really good. It might be like, you know, a big boss or something in the in the dungeon, but come on, that's a that's a cool opportunity. Definitely. What would its breath weapon be? It's just more mist, I don't know. Water? Steam? Steam. That's funny. Just hot mist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like a sauna. <laughs> ah, this is nice. How about like thunder? Could do thunder damage. Sure. Yeah, maybe. Because you know, thunder is made by clouds crashing together. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> that's, the... that's how that's it is how in all the cartoons, that... <laughs> Adam. Is that how it is in the cartoons? Yeah. The clouds come together. The clouds and fight, and their crashing makes thunder and lightning. Oh yeah, of course. Um, I like this mist dungeon. I picture it like a sunken, uh, pyramid. Okay. Like sunken underwater. Maybe I'm getting that from a little bit of, uh, in World of Warcraft, there was like a dungeon that you went into that was like kind of a sunken pyramid. I guess my first thought, cause they did mention, um, jungly surrounding. Yeah. So my thought was like an abandoned swamp temple. Sure. That's clouded and mist. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking as well, essentially. Like, a, I was thinking Aztec kind of pyramid. Maybe there's wind elementals there. Hmm. That could be kind of interesting. You could definitely reflavor, like, duff, dust methods into a mist method pretty easily. I wonder what the, what is the capstone of this mist temple? I guess the mist dragon could be a capstone, but, but uh, if you wanted to have a main bad guy or something like that yeah. which or, you might not necessarily have if you're going you know to a to a place to look for treasure like, maybe there's a way to shut off the mist ah it's a mist uh factory it's a mist mystery is what it is uh, mist mystery that's terrible <laughs> what i thought it was brilliant you could come across the mystery machine while you're there oh and then, man and then have a bunch of interactions with a group of with meddling, with meddling kids Oh my gosh! Yeah, rot row. Yeah, the the opportunity to get kind of meta and and uh, and jokey with that is is pretty good. You, uh, I think you've already. Hit... It'd be fun for a one shot. Yeah, I think you've already hit the nail on the head with the gone too far joke by yeah. adding in, um, Scooby Doo gang. Yeah, but it'd be it'd be fun for like a single room encounter or something like that. I mean, maybe there's a there's a very friendly ghost there named um, D- Dasper. Named, uh, not a human. Ba- Basper. <laughs> Basper. Basper, the, the friendly, friendly ghost. ghost. The humorous ghost or the, something? Yes, yes. The hilarious poltergeist. <laughs> yeah. Basper. Trick, trick willingness, 440. I, uh, 
I, I, I think we took it too far. Go back to Miss yeah, Dragon go, and stop. Take it, take it back. Take it back. To Rewind a little. <laughs> stop, stop before there. we got too crazy. Stop before Mystery Machine. Oh, gosh. Way before that. Um, And good luck on your kickflips and your and all of your other cool skateboard And your tricks. 90s. Yeah. And your backwards hat and inside out pants. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Actually, we should take a break. Yeah, let's take a break. Hey, we're back. How was your break? It was awesome. What'd you do? I befriended a uh, ghost. You befriended a ghost? Yes. He's not very friendly. He's actually kind of a jerk. Who was he? His name is Wasper. (laughs) And he's not very nice at all. Wasper. Poor Wasper. Poor Wasper. He's very sad. Aww. Yeah. He cries a lot. It's it's terrible. I've made an awful decision. <laughs> well, that's better than the ghost I met. Oh, what was your ghost like? Well, he had a hard time breathing. Well, his name was Gasper. Gasper. <laughs> oh, no, how did I not see it coming? Oh God. <laughs> also, ghosts don't need to breathe. They're ghosts. All right. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Let's uh, let's let's pull it, rain it in. That's what the break was for. Was to rain it in. Oh, we... oh no. <laughs> I, I did not do a good job there. Ruined it. Yeah. Um. Let's move on to ask a GM or what's your ruling. All right. This comes from Calthus. 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 C A L. T H I S S. All right. Calthus. Or maybe it's like Cal. Calthus sounds like a good, like, devil name. Well, there you go. Calthus. So, Vainwen, your devil, name it Calthus. Yeah. Or, um, Cult Hiss. Cult Hiss. Not as good. No, like Calthus. Calthus. It it reminds me of Calcifer. That's what it reminds me of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Calthus says narrative traps in dungeons. Just wondering what your general opinion is on more narrative-based trap mechanics in dungeons. My group is extremely roleplay and story-focused. We've sometimes gone three to four sessions without a single combat encounter, and they always look for story moments and ways around conflicts when they can. I am always thankful to have such an engaged group, but sometimes I still worry about using too many narrative, too much narrative power in non-combat situations. For example... Say the party approaches a massive castle, seemingly abandoned on a cold night during a thunderstorm. They approach carefully and eventually make it to the front door. Upon interaction with the door, the floor falls out from underneath them, dropping them into an underground tunnel, thus beginning a dungeon crawl. Obviously, this situation could go over in many different ways with different playgroups. I know my players would eat it up, but I'm not sure how others would react to not getting a save or anything to avoid the trap. It would have to be purely narrative, in my opinion, and have no damage or ill effects attached, but just as the sequence that starts the adventure. Have you run anything like this? How did it go? Should every single thing in the world require some sort of save or check to be able to avoid it? This is a good question, and actually it's a great question for a lot of new game masters, because the game is set up in such a way that the physics of the world are what you're rolling dice for. That's how Dungeons & Dragons is is set up and we've talked about this in previous episodes but 
basically, and you know, anytime I try to do a thing or the world tries to do a thing to me, whether that's a bad guy or a situation, uh, we roll dice to determine the success of trying to do something. That being said, I'm a big fan of narrative. The whole point of the game, in my opinion, is, is the narrative storytelling aspect. And the game master has to some extent a responsibility to those things. Now, sometimes that does mean that I will, uh, sometimes we use the term railroad my players into something that they don't have any decision-making power on. Um, I will have a bad guy that freezes them all and they cannot move and they don't get a save. And the bad guy does that so that they can monologue or so they can steal the item. He starts monologuing. So they can steal the item away from them. And it's an important plot device because I know my players will attack the player and the the bad guy in the middle of his monologue. And if they do, they will miss a big part of the story or the story will get cut short in a way that is uninteresting. And so part of my responsibility as a game master is to help tell a good story. And, And I want my players to have the trust in me to know that I would never do that in a way I would never take away their autonomy as their players in a way that would then therefore force them into into like making a decision that their character wouldn't make uh, or something along those lines that when I'm going to make these choices, I'm doing it because I'm moving the story along and that I'm doing it to allow for more interesting opportunities for player choice in the future. And I would say like it really depends on your players. I mean, in this case, your players, like you said, really want this. They they eat this kind of thing up. So having these kinds of traps all the time, probably not a big deal for them because they're excited about it. However, my group of players, I would only maybe do this once in a blue moon um, if it were really important. I, I don't necessarily want to rely on... Um, forcing an outcome. I, I, I like the idea. I, I want to like help create the story with other people. So like, yes, there are times where I would need to do something like this. Um, but for, for me and my players, it's few and far between. Now, um, it is worthwhile to point out that sometimes we fall, especially as game masters into the idea that there are only two outcomes. And I think that's a trap that you, that's a, that's a, a, it's a, it's a narrative trap that you are painting yourself into. Um, when you have the trap door that opens up and everybody falls down and they don't get a choice, yeah, but there were more than two outcomes here. Um, and you could give the opportunity for the players to make rolls and make checks that don't necessarily need to result in them not falling through the trap door. Mm-hmm. So you could say, all, all of you f- walk up, all of you fall through the trap door, everybody roll dexterity saving throws to see whether or not you can save yourself from some damage on the fall. Yeah. Um, or maybe um, some of you who noticed the trap um, before it got triggered, um, you know, because you did an investigation roll. Um, but there's another trap and the rest of you fall through. Sure. Or, I mean, that's once again the choice of fall or not fall. Um, but but you still want to have all of your players fall because in this, in this scenario... They can't go through the dungeon crawl if they don't fall down the trap door. Yeah, well, maybe what I'm saying is maybe some of them fall and some of them don't. And you now get the choice to follow or not. Split the party or not. Oh, I see. Uh, yeah, that might be if you know your players well enough to know that they won't split the party. And you're not going to have to 
split up two different dungeon crawls throughout a, a you know weeks long dungeon um uh or or you just have them the opportunity to to learn new information as you're falling down you know you you make a check you actually learn something about this stonework from this pit that's coming down that's going to help you later on in the dungeon or you uh you fall down and you um uh have an opportunity to to uh learn a little bit more about the house or something like that as you're as you're coming down how, how deep is this trap that's a very deep trap it's like Alice a long in time Wonderland. In contemplation you're like falling and there's like oh look a clock and oh look a tea set no oh, look some chess um or maybe there are two rooms side by side that you could fall into and one check results in one room and one check results in another room which allows you to split the party a little bit but they're still all in the dungeon hall so there there are a lot of different ways that you could make checks as a part of this be um be important in different ways oh uh you drop your equipment you mm. make a check and if you fail the check you drop your some of your equipment and it f- slides down and is going to wind up in another part of the dungeon uh so now you have to find it now you have to find it so one thing that I want to always encourage game masters and, and like I said, especially new game masters, because I think this is a easy, uh, no pun intended, easy pitfall mm. um, for new game masters to fall into is to think about the very many layers of possible success that you can have in something. And so I can railroad my players into a decision. You all fall down this trap door. You don't get a save on that part of it but I can still give them opportunity to have some autonomy of their, how their player reacts to that or how their player uh, deals with that. Um, I also, I, I will say, I don't, I don't like to do this too much. Um, especially if I'm, if I'm going to just flat out make it, you know, a, a, you lose, move on to the next thing. It's not a mechanic that I like to use too much. I will do it from time to time. But I think if you overuse it, it makes it feel like it's a story that you're telling as a game master and not a story that you're collaboratively telling together along with the players. I find that happens a lot um, kind of in the reverse, not a trap, not a uh, lose, but a someone is always going to save you. Oh, like, yeah. You constantly that, have... The NPC who saves you. Yeah, you constantly just, have someone show up at the nick of time all the time to save the day or call for reinforcements or... You know, if it's all the time, it feels like you you never have the opportunity to lose. Honestly, unless I was going to do it for a very specific plot purpose, I would never let an NPC save the day. Um, there are times where I will have, have that happen because I want this NPC to be set up in, in some very specific plot way. And when I do that, I do it with a with a lot of intentionality. I change the way that battle works. Yeah, you did that with um, Nicholas Gearhart in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I think it worked in the in the circumstances that I that I had it in, right? Um, but ultimately, it, it, I needed to set up for then a bigger battle or um, or set up for another another scenario. Uh, the the game that Alyssa is talking about is of course the Psychology in Seattle D and D podcast. Yes, and Nicholas Gearhart was my character. Yes, Thank actually, you. Alyssa's character from another personal campaign that we played. Yes. Uh, that was pulled into that into that storyline. Yeah, it was fun. He's named after um, a coworker of mine from uh, a job forever ago that I told him, "Your name is so awesome. Can I use it in a steampunk novel?" And he was like, "Totally." 
And I took that to mean I could also use it for D&D because I've never written a steampunk novel. Oh, there you go. So it's a real person's name. Nicholas Gearhart, although he went by Nick. Nick Gearhart. So cool. Um, okay, well, uh, call this. Hope that hope that helps. I think you're doing a great job. Don't second guess yourself too much. Just yeah, it know sounds your like players. Yeah, it sounds like your players are having a great time. And it sounds like you already have a good sense for the kind of game that they want. Um, and yeah, I think it's okay for you to make the choice to to put in some narrative plot loss, you know, to, to move things along or or let there be a specific intention to this to this trap to, to help move things along. Sounds like your players are down for that. Yeah. Okay, we're going to move on to use that spell. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba! Use that spell. Uh, this spell is called... I wonder if I could read it to you and see if you guess it. <laughs> You're going to read the whole description for the spell and see if okay. I can know the name? This is an illusion. Okay, it's Mage Hand. No, it's not even an illusion spell. <laughs> Just Don't, kidding. Like, wait, Minor illusion. Wait. It's a level five casting time one action range of self component S. Uh, duration concentration up to one hour. Okay, mirror image. You become invisible at the same time that an illusory double of you appears where you are standing. The double lasts for the duration, but the invisibility ends if you attack or cast a spell. You can use your action to move your illusory double up to twice your speed and make it gesture, speak, and behave in whatever way you choose. You can see through its eyes and hear through its ears as if you were located where it is. On each of your turns as a bonus action, you can switch from using its senses to using your own or back again. While you are using its senses, you are blinded and deafened in regard to your own surroundings. Page 260 of the Player's Handbook. I like that it makes you invisible too. I don't think I know this spell, although it's similar to the ability that Displacer Beasts have. Yeah. It's called Mislead. Mislead. Yeah. Oh. Isn't that neat? That's a cool spell. I've never heard of this one. Yeah. So so you make a double that lasts a concentration up to an hour. Invisibility ends if you attack or cast a spell. You can move it up to twice your speed and make gestures, speak, and behave. And you can see through its eyes and ears, but you are blinded and deafened. Um, in regard to your own surroundings. And the double, I assume, if it was interacted with, does it say that? Um, if it's interacted with, I assume it disappears because it's just an illusion, right? It doesn't say. It says on each of your turns as a bonus action, you can switch from using its senses to you using your own or back again as a bonus action. Or maybe it doesn't disappear, but it, but it is clear that, that it's an illusion, not a, not a uh, physical. It doesn't have physicality. You can't pick stuff up and move stuff Yeah, around. I don't know. It doesn't say. It does say that the invisibility ends if you attack or cast a spell. Um, but, like, it doesn't say if uh, the double... It also raises an interesting question. Can the double walk through walls? Right. Well, which makes, like, which would make that really interesting. Because if I wanted to see and hear on the other side of a wall, you, you could make an invisible head. illusory double. Well, the the double doesn't get to be invisible. Oh, right. Just You're you invisible. What, what's what's really cool about this is that um, I've used this as a uh, MacGuffin in games for players who like to attack NPCs. Hmm. Uh, so it's nice to know there's actually a spell that does the thing that I basically <laughs> have, have done where, where somebody goes like, I just attack him and then you swing a sword and he passes right through him and he goes, I'm not really here next to you. I figured you'd attack me. <laughs> I'm somewhere else. 
thanks for confirming that you apparently were going to attack me because you weren't going to like what I had to say. Um, you know, I popped mislead into the D and D subreddit subreddit to see what what some other people were asking about it, mm-hmm. and they they're asking the same things you are. They're saying, is it just not possible to disbelieve the illusion? Does that mean that it's also a tactile illusion? Can it pass through walls? If someone attacks it, does their sword seem to sink into flesh, but there's no reaction? So it says specifically illusory double. So I'll make I'll make a couple of judgment calls here. Okay. Um, it says specifically illusory double. What that means to me is that it cannot interact with physical matter. Um, most of the time when illusion, illusions are interacted with, it only means that the illusion now becomes sort of partially see-through. Um, right. and that the person who interacted with or who now, who now could tell that it was an illusion, um, no longer believes that the illusion is, is real, but it doesn't mean that the illusion Im- immediately vanishes. The only very specific circumstances that the spell describe the illusion as like when it's interacted with, it vanishes. Um, most of the time, like- most of the time it says something like, you can now see through it and it would show its true nature yeah exactly uh but it doesn't mean it's not still there and given the the qualities that you can do which is that you can see through it you can see through its eyes hear through its ears they might not be able to discern whether it's real until they interact with it yeah and i'd probably allow that and i'd allow a save uh if if there was a, a question about them trying to discern its its realness right because like you can gesture through it so like right you can have it react but like maybe if they talk to it and they don't touch it that that all being said especially because it's a fifth level spell it's reasonably high level um it requires not only your concentration but you are blinded and deafened and cannot move your own body while you are using the doubles and so I'd probably allow it to pass through walls, too. Hmm. There are other spells that can also, you know, see through walls or see through material. If I wanted to provide a particular restriction on it, I could provide the same restriction that a bunch of other spells use, which is, like, one inch of, of metal and one foot of wood and whatever that right. that whole restriction is. It's crazy so I'd use how that same calculation. Some spells have calculations like that and some of them are like this one where you're like, well, yeah, I don't where know. it doesn't even tell you. Um, this person says another way to think of it is a combination of the second level invisibility plus the third level major image. Mhm. Except that you because you can see and hear through it. Right. That provides this sort of additional piece which is that you could you could potentially you know, walk as far as you can in an hour, uh, and see long distances, um, and you could pass through walls and see other things that are happening on walls. Um, so those are probably the ways that I would end up making a judgment call on the the pieces of this. Now, do you think it can go double your speed? Can it climb up walls? I would say it can walk up walls. It can walk up them? Yeah. It doesn't fly. So maybe not. Maybe maybe it does have to climb, but it does move double your speed. So like, clearly it's gliding or something. Right, like, without getting tired. Yeah. So I, I yeah I would probably rule that. I, I don't know. I, I I might even let it fly. You can fly around. It's basically an astral projection that you're creating. Right. Um. It's still an illusion. Like right. you still have control over it as an illusion. And if you were flying around, people might discern that's not right. Yeah, sure. 
If you're passing through walls, I would assume people can tell that it's an illusion. If they see it. Right. But I also think that it wouldn't stop you from being able to see or hear through it. So if what you really want to do is... Obviously, one obvious use of this spell is I get to make it look like I'm over there when I'm not over there. Right, exactly. Which is cool. You you put yourself into a position where suddenly I'm invisible and I can like walk away and they think I'm over there. Right. Um, and that is cool. And you could do some really cool stuff with that, right? You know, I... I'm being chased and I run around one corner and then I cast this spell and I make it look like I... I'm running the other way. I'm running the other way or whatever and then they chase my illusion for a while before I suddenly make it disappear and then they have no idea where I actually Yeah, am. but you're blind and deafened if you want the senses to go from that one. Right. So you have so, to like make sure it's a straight shot that your thing's running because you're still going to want to see right. if you're running the other way. But um, I do think the the opportunity for spying for using it for spying is there i think that you could easily like go cool i want to see what's in this next room blam and then i walk through the wall in in the next room and i think i think you either have to make the determination that this illusory you can interact with objects and pick stuff up or can pass through walls Mm -hmm. um logically that makes that makes the most sense to me mislead thumbs up spell i like it thumbs up yeah. So let's wrap up. Let's wrap it up. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. You can go to nextsessionpodcast.com if you want to submit your own question or if you want to um, suggest spells or sometimes we do magic items. So if you want us to discuss a magic item, we Ooh, can do dis- that. Discuss. That's what this whole podcast is. It's a discussion. It's a discussion. <laughs> it's not just me. what we're doing saying anything it's just us talking really discussing with with some minor music in the background (laughs) no not even that i mean the music's only at the beginning and the end and the ad break man why do you even listen to this but you can listen to it (laughs) should should we do music in the back some podcasts do that where they have music in the background maybe we'll try it out at some point yeah um but you can also listen to the podcast at the website if you ever desire to do so um, and you can check out the resources page on the website as well. Yeah. Um, you can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook at The Next Session. And we're on Instagram at Next Session Podcast. Um, so I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. And tune in next time and we'll help you prep for your next session. Bye. Bye.